Section fifty one of the Expedition of Humphrey Clinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Expedition of Humphrey Clinker by Tobias Smollett. Section fifty one. To Sir Watkin Phillips, Baronet, of Jesus College, Oxford. Dear Watt, we made a precipitate retreat from Scarborough, owing to the excessive delicacy of our squire, who cannot bear the thoughts of being praetereuntium digito monstratus. One morning, while he was bathing in the sea, his man, Clinker, took it into his head that his master was in danger of drowning, and in this conceit, plunging into the water, he lugged him out naked on the beach, and almost pulled off his ear in the operation. You may guess how this achievement was relished by Mr. Bramble, who is impatient, irascible, and has the most extravagant ideas of decency and decorum in the economy of his own person. In the first ebullition of his collar he knocked Clinker down with his fist, but he afterwards made him amends for his outrage, and in order to avoid further notice of the people, among whom this incident had made him remarkable, he resolved to leave Scarborough next day. We set out accordingly over the moors by way of Whitby, and began our journey betimes in hopes of reaching Stockton that night, but in this hope we were disappointed. In the afternoon, crossing a deep gutter made by a torrent, the coach was so hard strained that one of the irons which connect the frame snapped, and the leather sling on the same side cracked in the middle. The shock was so great that my sister Liddy struck her head against Mistress Tabitha's nose with such violence that the blood flowed, and Wynne Jenkins was darted through a small window in that part of the carriage next to the horses, where she stuck like a board in the pillory, till she was released by the hand of Mr. Bramble. We were eight miles distant from any place where we could be supplied with chaises, and it was impossible to proceed with the coach until the damage should be repaired. In this dilemma we discovered a blacksmith's forge on the edge of a small common, about half a mile from the scene of our disaster, and thither the postilions made shift to draw the carriage slowly, while the company walked afoot but we found the blacksmith had been dead some days, and his wife, who had been lately delivered, was deprived of her senses, under the care of a nurse hired by the parish. We were exceedingly mortified at this disappointment, which, however, was surmounted by the help of Humphrey Clinker, who is a surprising compound of genius and simplicity. Finding the tools of the defunct, together with some coals in the smithy, he unscrewed the damaged iron in a twinkling, 
and kindling a fire united the broken pieces with equal dexterity and dispatch while he was at work upon this operation the poor woman in the straw struck with the well-known sound of the hammer and anvil started up and notwithstanding all the nurse's efforts came running into the smithy where throwing her arms about clinker's neck ah jacob cried she how could you leave me in such a condition this incident was too pathetic to occasion mirth it brought tears into the eyes of all present the poor widow was put to bed again and we did not leave the village without doing something for her benefit even tabitha's charity was awakened on this occasion as for the tender-hearted humphrey clinker he hammered the iron and wept at the same time but his ingenuity was not confined to his own province of farrier and blacksmith it was necessary to join the leather sling which had been broke and this service he likewise performed by means of a broken awl which he new-pointed and ground a little hemp which he spun into lingles and a few tacks which he made for the purpose upon the whole we were in a condition to proceed in little more than an hour but even this delay obliged us to pass the night at guisborough next day we crossed the tees at stockton which is a neat agreeable town and there we resolved to dine with purpose to lie at durham whom should we meet in the yard when we alighted but martin the adventurer having handed out the ladies and conducted them into an apartment where he paid his compliments to mistress tabby with his usual address he begged leave to speak to my uncle in another room and there in some confusion he made an apology for having taken the liberty to trouble him with a letter at stevenage he expressed his hope that mr bramble had bestowed some consideration on his unhappy case and repeated his desire of being taken into his service my uncle calling me into the room told him that we were both very well inclined to rescue him from a way of life that was equally dangerous and dishonourable and that he should have no scruples in trusting to his gratitude and fidelity if he had any employment for him which he thought would suit his qualifications and his circumstances but that all the departments he had mentioned in his letter were filled up by persons of whose conduct he had no reason to complain of consequence he could not without injustice deprive any one of them of his bread nevertheless he declared himself ready to assist him in any feasible project either with his purse or credit martin seemed deeply touched at this declaration the tear started in his eye while he said in a faltering accent worthy sir your generosity oppresses me i never dreamed of troubling you for any pecuniary assistance indeed i have no occasion i have been so lucky at billiards and betting in different places at buxton harrogate scarborough and newcastle races 
that my stock in ready money amounts to three hundred pounds which i would willingly employ in prosecuting some honest scheme of life but my friend justice buzzard has set so many springs for my life that i am under the necessity of either retiring immediately to a remote part of the country where i can enjoy the protection of some generous patron or of quitting the kingdom altogether it is upon this alternative that i now beg leave to ask your advice i have had information of all your route since i had the honour to see you at stevenage and supposing you would come this way from scarborough i came hither last night from darlington to pay you my respects it would be no difficult matter to provide you with an asylum in the country replied my uncle but a life of indolence and obscurity would not suit with your active and enterprising disposition i would therefore advise you to try your fortune in the east indies i will give you a letter to a friend in london who will recommend you to the direction for a commission in the company's service and if that cannot be obtained you will at least be received as a volunteer in which case you may pay for your passage and i shall undertake to procure you such credentials that you will not be long without a commission martin embraced the proposal with great eagerness it was therefore resolved that he should sell his horse and take a passage by sea for london to execute the project without delay in the meantime he accompanied us to durham where we took up our quarters for the night here being furnished with letters from my uncle he took his leave of us with strong symptoms of gratitude and attachment and set out for sunderland in order to embark in the first collier bound for the river thames he had not been gone half an hour when we were joined by another character which promised something extraordinary a tall meagre figure answering with his horse the description of don quixote mounted on rosinante appeared in the twilight at the inn door while my aunt and liddy stood at a window in the dining-room he wore a coat the cloth of which had once been scarlet trimmed with brandenburgs now totally deprived of their metal and he had holster caps and housing of the same stuff and same antiquity perceiving ladies at the window above he endeavoured to dismount with the most graceful air he could assume but the ostler neglecting to hold the stirrup when he wheeled off his right foot and stood with his whole weight on the other the girth unfortunately gave way the saddle turned down came the cavalier to the ground and his hat and periwig falling off displayed a headpiece of various colours patched and plastered in a woeful condition the ladies at the window above shrieked with affright on the supposition that the stranger had received some notable damages in his fall but the greatest injury he had sustained arose from the dishonour of his descent aggravated by the disgrace of exposing the condition of his cranium for certain plebeians that were about the door laughed aloud 
in the belief that the captain had either got a scald head or a broken head, both equally opprobrious. He forthwith leapt up in a fury, and snatching one of his pistols, threatened to put the ostler to death, when another squall from the women checked his resentment. He then bowed to the window, while he kissed the butt-end of his pistol, which he replaced, adjusted his wig in great confusion, and led his horse into the stable. By this time I had come to the door, and could not help gazing at the strange figure that presented itself to my view. He would have measured above six feet in height had he stood upright, but he stooped very much, was very narrow in the shoulders, and very thick in the calves of his legs, which were cased in black spatterdashes. As for his thighs, they were long and slender, like those of a grasshopper. His face was at least half a yard in length, brown and shrivelled, with projecting cheekbones, little grey eyes on the greenish hue, a large hook nose, a pointed chin, a mouth from ear to ear, very ill furnished with teeth, and a high narrow forehead, well furrowed with wrinkles. His horse was exactly in the style of its rider, a resurrection of dry bones, which, as we afterwards learned, he valued exceedingly as the only present he had ever received in his life. Having seen this favourite steed properly accommodated in the stable, he sent up his compliments to the ladies, begging permission to thank them in person for the marks of concern they had shown at his disaster in the courtyard. As the squire said they could not decently decline his visit, he was shown upstairs, and paid his respects in the Scotch dialect, with much formality. Ladies, said he, perhaps ye may be scandalised at the appearance of my head maid when it was uncovered by accident, but I can assure you the condition you saw it in is neither the effects of diseases nor of drunkenness, but an honest scar received in the service of my country. He then gave us to understand that having been wounded at Ticonderoga in America, a party of Indians rifled him, scalped him, broke his skull with the blow of a tomahawk, and left him for dead on the field of battle but that being afterwards found with signs of life, he had been cured in the French hospital, though the loss of substance could not be repaired, so that the skull was left naked in several places, and these he covered with patches. There is no hold by which an Englishman is sooner taken than that of compassion. We were immediately interested in behalf of this veteran, even Tabby's heart was melted, but our pity was warmed with indignation when we learned that in the course of two sanguinary wars he had been wounded, maimed, mutilated, taken and enslaved, without ever having attained a higher rank than that of lieutenant. 
my uncle's eyes gleamed and his nether lip quivered while he exclaimed i vow to god sir your case is a reproach to the service the injustice you have met with is so flagrant i must crave your pardon sir cried the other interrupting him i complain of no injustice i purchased an ensigncy thirty years ago and in the course of service rose to a lieutenant according to my seniority but in such a length of time resumed the squire you must have seen a great many young officers put over your head nevertheless said he i have no cause to murmur they bought their preferment with their money i had no money to carry to market that was my misfortune but nobody was to blame what no friend to advance a sum of money said mr bramble perhaps i might have borrowed money for the purchase of a company answered the other but that loan must have been refunded and i did not choose to encumber myself with a debt of a thousand pounds to be paid from an income of ten shillings a day so you have spent the best part of your life cried mr bramble your youth your blood and your constitution amidst the dangers the difficulties the horrors and hardships of a war for the consideration of three or four shillings a day a consideration sir replied the scot with great warmth you are the man that does me injustice if you see or think i have been actuated by any such paltry consideration i am a gentleman and entered the service as other gentlemen do with such hopes and sentiments as honourable ambition inspires if i have not been lucky in the lottery of life so neither do i think myself unfortunate i owe to no man a farthing i can always command a clean shirt a mutton chop and a truss of straw and when i dee i shall leave effects sufficient to defray the expense of my burial my uncle assured him he had no intention to give him the least offence by the observations he had made but on the contrary spoke from a sentiment of friendly regard to his interest the lieutenant thanked him with a stiffness of civility which nettled our old gentleman who perceived that his moderation was all affected for whatever his tongue might declare his whole appearance denoted dissatisfaction in short without pretending to judge of his military merit i think i may affirm that this caledonian is a self-conceited pedant awkward rude and disputatious he has had the benefit of a school education seems to have read a good number of books his memory is tenacious and he pretends to speak several different languages but he is so addicted to wrangling that he will cavil at the clearest truths and in the pride of argumentation attempt to reconcile contradictions 
whether his address and qualifications are really of that stamp which is agreeable to the taste of our aunt mistress tabitha or that indefatigable maiden is determined to shoot at every sort of game certain it is she has begun to practise upon the heart of the lieutenant who favoured us with his company to supper i have many other things to say of this man of war which i shall communicate in a post or two meanwhile it is but reasonable that you should be indulged with some respite from those weary lucubrations of yours j melford newcastle upon tyne july tenth end of section fifty one